Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Boys Don't Cry of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, aka No Son, You Can't Borrow My Bullet Belt. I'm taking your mom to Chili's later tonight. <laughs> after after that, you're going to have to loosen the bullet belt. <laughs> oh yeah, you got to take one, a couple of these rounds out after some of those baby back ribs. <laughs> After after the, after that hot, after that hot chili, these are gonna be tracer rounds. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> is, um, that, is that what we turn into when we get old? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, and I am uh, the black metal guy, aka caught up in the festive holiday spirit, voluntarily signing up for Motorhead spam. <laughs> is that how it worked? What did you get? You got a fucking newsletter from what the the I Motorhead just, Legacy Bureau? I, I just ordered a Motorhead shirt for my sister, and 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 they're like, "Do you want to receive updates?" And you know, you almost always you almost always click no, right? <laughs> You know, I think I do want Motorhead updates. Well, I think I think in a situation like the situation Motorhead's in, if there are any updates, it's going to be wild. You know? oh, no, no, like strictly merch updates. Oh, yeah. oh, just just new new designs with Snaggletooth on them. Yeah, I'm I'm like, why not? Yeah, there's still a Motorhead website, so I guess it's going for the Lemmy Foundation. Oh, okay. That's that's pretty cool then. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I've got a I've got a Motorhead tattoo, but I don't have a Motorhead shirt. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah. So festive holiday season. Uh, Merry Christmas and Happy Yule to everybody. Uh, I know there's more holidays than that, but those are the only two we celebrate on the show. So that's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got any uh, got any cool pagan plans, Black Metal Guy? Oh God. Well, the solstice already passed. That would be the big one for you, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, Yule happens around the solstice and is a season, and really, we're kind of shaky on exactly when people celebrated these anyway. As oh, you know, um, my guys are pretty shaky about the whole Christmas thing too, so don't worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They're like, like doing debate about where to place it for like. It's like a years. yeah. It's like a three week window, probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. That's how it is. Um, I couldn't really do. I was. I've been sick all week. I was too sick to do anything for the solstice. But you know, I. You know, I, I paid attention to the sun. Um, <laughs> uh, which, 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 when the days are this short, is uh, you know, um, and and when you wake up at three p.m., this is you know, you got to make sure you get out there. Um, but but yeah, I couldn't do any cool solstice observance or anything. But you know, I'm just gonna like. The other thing is that, like, Christmas celebrations are basically, like, in many respects, very close to Yule celebrations, and I just, you know, so I have no problem, just, I just go celebrate Christmas with my family. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know about it's, that, I just didn't know if you had a cool yeah. wrinkle in there or anything. No, not, mm-hmm. not right now, um, maybe, maybe, maybe later, uh, <laughs> it's, um... Uh, I mean, I'm just doing the friends miss things with some bandmates, and you know we're gonna cook a lot, so that's that's all I've got going on. Mm-hmm. No, but uh, yeah. So uh, so uh, happy holidays to everybody listening out there. Uh, this is in fact our final uh, regular episode of the year. Next week we will, as is tradition, have our terminus omega end of the year list that we will plan on being cleaner and more concise than the year before and then we'll spiral into four hours of madness as is tradition (laughs) what if we literally just read the lists up front and then talked about them (laughs) 
<laughs> what to reduce our view time on YouTube? You got to think about the oh, algorithm wait, yeah, here. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's right. We got to draw it out. Yeah, what exactly. Didn't, what if we didn't mention any of the bands until the fourth hour and then just read the lists off and then ended the podcast? Oh, God. <laughs> That's, I, that is the sort of interminable upsetting thing that I, I, I can't even fathom subjecting people to. Just four hours of just fluffy, abstract noodling we about talk, music. <laughs> we just talk about the genesis and uh, metaphysical destiny of Chilean war metal. <laughs> we talk about we cover transcendental black metal you know uh, i do a quick interpretive piece on hand drums that i've been collecting for the past couple years and i think I it'll recite be some recite some poetry i think it'll be solid it'll be like a stick show in 87 or something um <clears throat> Uh, so yeah, uh, so as is tradition, we'll do our end of year list and then we'll go on our winter break for a couple year, uh, a couple years. <laughs> yeah. We're not in a, we're, we're not in fucking game of Thrones universe. It doesn't last a couple years for a couple weeks. And then we'll be back, uh, mid January ish, you know, proper timeline pending. And we'll probably be doing some, uh, w- like we'll be doing some bonus shit over the, over the break and, probably have a 2022 catch-up episode either over the break or just as our first episode next year. Yeah, and what a brilliant segue when you talk about bonus content. So there's there's a few things we need you to do here at Terminus, you know, to help us get the victory royale. Uh, so first thing you need to do is if you're listening on YouTube or whatever podcast platform, why don't you whack that good old subscribe button so we can keep pumping those rookie numbers up and accessing more and more people. Even if you don't like it, we only put out an episode a week. We won't clutter your sub box. It's okay. Um, after that, you're going to need to go to social media. Me, the death metal guy on Facebook at Terminus Podcast or the black metal guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. Uh, for more updates and some of that parasocial interaction that you're always seeking with your favorite content creators and influencers. And finally, for the truly dedicated, for the true and cult among us, you can subscribe to us on Patreon. $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, and $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, where we answer the world's most important question, is bug metal a real genre? Hey all this is Brandon from Cromlech, and you're listening to Terminus. Alright. And we are charging ahead with Amon Gonder by Satanic Warmaster on Werewolf Records. So uh, you know. Christmas has come right on time for the Black Metal Guy <laughs> this year because we have a Satanic War Master record and a surprise Hate Forest release for you tonight. Um, so we'll get to that second. Um, and yeah, this one has been, I mean, highly anticipated to say the least. It's been uh, the last one, Fimblevinter, was 2014. And in that time, Satanic Warmaster has become, I don't know, one of like the three most influential bands in the modern scene. Probably, like, yeah. Is, is that fair? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, like Satanic Warmaster, I mean, Sargeist, and McGlaw, probably. Yeah, yeah, extremely influential. Um, and I think on the on the underground, like Satanic Warmaster, probably more than the other two. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, 
and 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 like you know that style of courting is everywhere we've talked about it on the show as the franco finnish style and uh werewolf and war and satanic warmaster is obviously one of the founders of that right and one, one of the people who picked up on it from france in finland back in the late 90s early 2000s uh so and presumably he is aware of the influence he's had and uh was aware that doing a another record would it would call for something special right um Knox error was not, you know, pretty much everyone agrees that one was not great. Fimbleventer was really good, but a deliberate kind of uh, change of pace and a uh, expansion of the palette. And I think he knew that the next one, this one's got to be like, it's got to be to a T, a Satanic Warmaster record, but it's also got to do some new stuff, and it's also got to like... Uh, you know, show why why this band was so important in the first place. So it's a it's a big it's a tall order. Um, and I don't know, you know, let, let's get into it from. I think maybe let's let's start from your your responses to it because I've kind of written my notes as a response to yours. Yeah, so um, I I approach this without um, any specific expectations. Uh, I haven't actually heard Fimble Winter. Uh, just primarily what I listen to is like the first three Satanic War Master records. And I love them all, but it's also just one of those things where they, they center around such a specific idea. I, I don't feel the need to really like keep up to date all the time. You know, if it sure. pops in front of me, I'll check it out. So I didn't really know what to anticipate apart from, you know, generally more of the same, which is a good thing in this case. Uh, what I got though is kind of contrary to expectations. And you'd have to fill in for me if like Fimble Winter kind of like prepped for some of these mm -hmm. ideas. Um, Cause I think that one of the most ambitious things that he does on this record is that it seems like a lot of the, the most classic sort of, Franco Finnish motifs uh, have been removed to a degree, or at least very heavily de-emphasized. Um, this is still distinctly Finnish black metal and distinctly satanic war master, but some of his most standard kind of melodic motifs have been pushed into the background in favor of stuff that is more aggressive and hues a little bit closer, at least to my ear, to uh, traditional second wave black metal. Um, there's also the uh, expansion on the usage of keyboards in his work, uh, which has become, which is pretty central on this record, actually, and seems to be a thing going on in Finnish black metal in general, the sort of a rediscovery of symphonic black stuff, uh, which has obviously never disappeared from Finland, but there's definitely an emphasis being placed on it that is a little bit new uh, from what I'm hearing. Uh, overall, it's a... I mean, it's a really good record. How does it stack up with the rest of Satanic War Master's discography? I think that's a question you'll have to ask in a few years. Um, it's a little bit too difficult to place in it. Um, I really enjoyed my time with it. And I think that, I mean, if there is anything that I have to say about it that would be a criticism, it, I mean, it's really just a matter of taste. It's this is a really short, really compact, really smooth kind of record. And the first time I listened to it, I felt like it just kind of slipped past me because this is super listenable, super catchy music. Um, 
and the production is just so nice and polished. It, it's easy for this to just kind of go in one ear and out another if you're not paying close attention to it. Now, when you do pay close attention to it, there's a ton to discover. And there's a lot of really interesting material on this. Like uh, yesterday, I listened to this like three or four times back to back. But I didn't feel like I was really figuring out until like that third listen. Um how did you feel about this? Because it, I think this is a record that unusually for me could actually serve to be a little bit longer, like a couple more tracks just to solidify the arc of the record, because it feels like it's just uh, it's about 35 minutes long uh, and it's very well paced to the point where it's almost like paced too well. It's almost too fast. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Did you get any of that sense? Um. Yeah, I know what you mean. I like so yeah, I I think this is a, a great album. I'm excited that he's back. Uh, but I I think I agree with you about, or rather, I see what you mean about the length. It is oddly short. However, the way I think about it is just like I'm I'm always like, well, you deal with the album you have, uh, and and the songs you have, and I, I suspect what happened is that. He spent a lot of time writing shit for this. He probably had more songs than this. And at the end of the day, he decided, you know, those other two or four, whatever, I just, uh, you know, they're just not as good, and I'm not going to put out any sort of slop under my name. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially not for a record like this. And I really respect that. And, you know, there's also the... So there's the just rigorous artistry thing and the punk condensation. I think if it's designed for a kind of listening, it is designed to be played over and over again on repeat. It does. It works very well like that. Um, Definitely by the end of the record, you feel like you want more, which uh, I I guess is a good thing. It's just it's it's highly unusual that I'm ever like an album needs to be longer. I'm the one that always thinks that things need to be cut. But in this case, just because there is like a a really serious musical development that occurs over the course of the record, um, like the, the difference between the first and the last tracks and like where the album progresses to is really stark. I just think maybe I wanted a couple more to make that process a little bit more gradual and just kind of lengthen the arc of the development there. Fair enough. I mean, I think, you know, uh, this album also has a, it has that blistering momentum. Mm -hmm. uh, And I think the the shortness goes with that. Um, Maybe if he attempted a, it's not all fast, as you point out. There are the last track in particular, which you sampled, and uh, there's also a cool kind of break in the Duke's Ride. Uh, mm-hmm. A very cool break uh, that's slower. But generally, this record, more than any other Satanic Warmaster I've heard, goes for blistering speed. Uh, and I suspect the, the brevity might have something to do with that. Um, mm-hmm. So, and I also, so about the smoothness of it, um, you, you know, on this show, I've often criticized, uh, Finn, Finn Black imitators for sounding too smooth, right? Mm-hmm. It's just this, like, both in the serb, like the, the smoothly flowing minor scale, you know, melodies that use those chords to just glide around in nice sounding ways and in the production, which has been beefed up to the point where it just all sounds friendly or whatever, or even stuff that's raw produced and just has like flowery, flowy melodies that are kind of weak. 
Mm-hmm. So that's the thing I'm sensitive to. I, I get that. Um, what I would say is there's different kinds of smoothness. Uh, I would say here he uses the smoothness of his plane and the flow of the riffs to create heaviness and aggression, which is very different from a lot of the imitators. It's like it's almost like he's made this record flow more on a songwriting level than, say, Corellian Satanist Madness, which depends on high contrast. Right. There's there is. Yeah, I get what you're saying. There's a real streak of something, you know, a well that we've been coming back to over and over again, like this year. Um, there's a real streak of just like heavy metal on this one and heavy metal, you know, in its moments of heaviness is it sort of arrives at those through good pacing and through playing the cool part at the right time. And this record conveys its heaviness in a similar way. You know, the sort of most explosive moments are those that arrive very naturally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also like, um, it's, uh, you know, like I remember, uh, Back in the day, right? You said, "Oh, I love Corellian Satanist Warmaster. I just wish there were or Corellian Satanist Madness. I just <laughs> wish there weren't all these, you know, sort of like stompy Norwegian parts." Right? Mm-hmm. And I always thought about that for a long time. I was like, "Like, no, death metal guy. Those are integral." Uh, but you know, you think now I understand they are. It took me well, took me some time. But <laughs> they're structurally important, but there it just is true that some of those riffs don't get quite the bespoke love that the big riffs do, mm-hmm. and are just more familiar. Um, and here he's just decided. You know what? People love these this flowing, grandiose, uh, Senor Volan guitar style. I'm just gonna give them that. And, but I'm going to give it to them in this, like, uh, but I'm going to give it to them almost without the big, the massive, uh, long melodies and some of that. And so it's, that's the interesting thing. That's why I like this. So production wise, I'll come back to that in a second. The other thing. So we talk about smoothness of songwriting. There's also smoothness of production. Production wise. Yeah. This is pushing it for me, man. Mm -hmm. Like this is like uh, pretty close to. I'm never going to let nice production put me off something that's well written, right? Otherwise I would like wouldn't listen to Migla. Mm-hmm. But like uh this is it is very uh um it just sounds I don't know really good high mids <laughs> you know um high mids very clean kind of rounded uh it's um and you know if the music were different that could be really bad for me, right? Uh-huh. Uh, I would be like, oh, this is doing the same things as the imitators. This is like pandering to the crowd or something, right? Uh, that's not the case here. The The thing that makes me, fi- that I find really interesting about this record is that it embraces the, the core riffing style everyone associates with him, but in this really, really rigorously stripped down way, like paired back, like... Instead of these long, flowing hook melodies, you'll get one or two of those on the record, a couple. Most of these are just, like, powerful chord block rhythm phrases. Does that sound accurate? I think so. I I think that it'd be difficult for me to say that this seems... This doesn't seem, at first blush, to be, like, 
that much pared back from older Satanic War Master material, but I think you have something more distinct in mind, because I'm usually going back to, like, Corellian as a reference point, um, and I think you're going more back to, like, Strength and Honor. Uh, no, no, I'm thinking about Corellian. Um, it's, it's that, like, you know, think about the big hooks everyone thinks about, like, dun, 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 you know, um, or the speed metal lick there, or... Uh, they're just these kinds of, like, flashy, longer, big riffs. I gotcha. Um, to be fair, I mostly just listen to Eaten by Rats on a constant loop for yeah, days yeah, on end. Rocking, so. rocking back and forth. And <laughs> yeah, the, like, my favorite song off that record is, like, the simplest, like, little yes. punk so track. Whole, yeah, <laughs> This is it. The whole record is like Eaten by Rats, and but grimmer. And that's yeah, yeah. another cool thing. Um, although the production is quite smooth. This is uh, this is one of the, this is maybe the sternest mood he's ever done since the first record, Strength and Honor, um, and uh, yeah. So the the riffing is more minimal. It emphasizes much a much more sort of uh, grim and scowling mood, and uh, everything is extremely economic. And yeah, I think people might have been expecting Corellian Satanist Madness too. I think he knew people were expecting that, and he was just like, no, like, why would I do that? And also, like, like leave that record alone. It's good as it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we, we don't need a Corellian Satanist Madness right. to. So, so instead, I think the concept for this is, I'm going to write Strength and Honor too, but I'm going to do it with everything I've learned since, right? Including on this Fimblevinter record, where he really expanded his palette. Right? Instead of just, this was a classic, like, st one style band. On mm -hmm. Fimbleventer, he plays a ton of one-off bespoke riffs in very kind of unusual phrasings that sound more Norse or Swedish, and they just go away. Mm -hmm. It's like an album full of cool riffs stitched together in these, like, much more symphonic emperor-style compositions. Uh, and um, he, ju he just really, like, like, pushed himself. And there's a lot more of those keyboards. Uh and it sort of helped introduce this turn towards symphonic stuff in, in Finnish stuff. That's as you suspected. Um, mm -hmm. And here he's incorporating, he's like, I'm not going to have the big flashy riffs as much, but I'm going to have dense orchestration. Yeah. And I'm not going to have like the big, and when I have big flashy riffs, they might sound more like uh, dissection. Or that is when I saw that in your uh, in your notes, I, I meant to bring that up. I got a huge dissection vibe off a lot of the most elaborate parts. Uh, it, yeah, that that was really interesting, especially the first track, Baphomet, which in mm. a sense I'd love I'd love to sample every track on this record. I almost thought about it, like just doing three <laughs> each. Yeah, but Baphomet was the opening single. I think everyone's heard it. What that does is really it's a good template for the whole record. Uh, in that it starts off with some, like, very, you know, they're kind of like uh, sh sugary epic riffs, but they're played with, like, hypnotic repetition, just way longer than anyone expects. And the chorus is just this, like, sort of flowering where dead angels lie type melody that also reprises the last song of the White Death record. Um, it's this kind of, like, nod I think to to those to, to that kind of stuff, um, 
And but it does this in this like this pummeling droning context. Like I feel like on the one hand this is very heavy metal and very symphonic black metal, but on the other hand it's the closest to something like Hate Forest he's done compositionally because it's just like hammer on the root note, continuous trem, and blast beats that feel. These are songs almost entirely of blast beats, and the blasts feel fast. Mm-hmm. You don't need like punk beats for driving. You know, he doesn't need like need the driving punk beats because the blasts make it rip. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. So dissection is big here. Um, and you know, the other big moment was he, you know, he had a big hand in two of the biggest Werewolf Records releases that were defined defining for the modern Finnish scene were uh, these paired releases back in um, twenty seventeen, where the White Death self titled. Uh, where he was playing, I'm not sure he was the riff writer, but he played guitar, keys, vocals, and uh, Goatmoon Stella Polaris, where he was just involved in the whole process. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, those had this big polished sound, and they had a lot more Norwegian and Swedish stuff in there. So this is like, he's going to do a new black, he's going to do Strength and Honor, but he's going to do it with all of that added uh-huh. to it. Make sense? Yeah. All right. Anyway, let's go to the samples. Um, and I thought uh, just to refresh people, like get their idea of what really scowling, stern, satanic warmaster sounds like. Let's listen to a quick clip from uh, a new Black Order off of Strength and Honor. It's been a it's been a long time since I've listened to that record, and uh, I forgot. It sounds a lot like Judas Iscariot in a weird way. 
Yeah, I think that we always talk about the French bands, but I imagine from what I've heard of Judas Iscariot, I imagine that was also a big part of the puzzle for these guys back in the day. I imagine this is, I imagine he was in contact with the French and the early Finns. Yeah, I, I, I'm working on kind of a pet theory that Judas Iscariot is like way more important than people realize as far as like influencing underground black metal styles but i'll uh, i'll get to that another time where it makes more sense yeah no that, that makes a lot of sense but yeah basically just wanted to point people to the mood you know that one's based you know those band photos where you know you stand with your arms at your side down but kind of out as if they're buoyed out by you know like yeah. <laughs> by pagan winds or invisible muscles zombie pose you know <laughs> yeah zombie pose yeah so that riff is for that you just stand there with your like muscle arms which may or may not have muscles on them <laughs> you're yeah like, you're you just go you scowl <laughs> you're forming you're forming a kamehameha but like an evil one you yeah you're, you just scowl and so um that's a so this and what's cool about that song is that um, it's very positioned, like, simple, quote-unquote, verse riff, complicated, flowering chorus riff, right? This is the, this elaborate riff that sounds a lot like the French bands he's influenced by and sets up some of the classic Satanic Warmaster turnarounds and gestures. But the riff doesn't release. It doesn't have the epic Corellian Satanist Madness thing. It just keeps building tension. Uh, and he repeats it obsessively. He's like, no, we're going to do this four times. Uh, and what it really does is just build up tension back to the drop. And it's actually that simple bulldozer riff that's the main riff. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's designed very counterintuitively based on modern black metal standards. Yeah, and so you can hear that even back at, you know, like today, maybe someone wouldn't play that build up part four times, right? Mm -hmm. But like... Even so, like, that's sophisticated songwriting for back in the day. Like, even though these are very simple songs part-wise and, you know, technically speaking, uh, he was already thinking of smart, cool ways to do things. Um, but yeah, so let's just do a direct comparison. This is the... We took these tracks out of order. Uh, um, this is just... Think of the how that song works. And then listen to... Darkness Triumphator. This is a longer sample, um, but you just have, it conveys an idea. You have to listen that long to get an idea of the intensity. And this is one of the, you'll hear the lush production, how good it sounds, but this is also one of the most scowling, violent Satanic Warmaster tracks ever.
safety. <laughs> it is really cool. Um, there, there's a lot of like, uh, you know, he's got a great understanding of how to pace a black metal song. It's like how writing songs in that manner has become kind of a lost art. Like mm-hmm. how to play a riff eight times. You know what I mean? Which sounds like it sounds backhanded or silly, but it really is like its own technique. There's a certain kind of riff. It's not just a really good riff. Like a really good riff can be played eight times and that can be miserable. You know, yeah, yeah. there's certain kinds of really good riffs that that want that kind of treatment. And I think what a lot of people don't realize is that it's it tends to be simpler riffs that yes. work better like that. It's like you think, oh, if I'm going to play this one a shit ton of times, I want all these intricacies and stuff. No, the ear just gets fatigued. It's supposed to settle in and be sort of a relaxed figure. Um, and it's, yeah, it's we've we've talked about the ideal of the infinite riff, which mm-hmm. is huge for me. Right. It's like, and yeah, it should be shorter. You could not play the hook riffs on Corellian Satanist Madness eight times or 16 times. Yeah, you'd go insane. (laughs) This first riff, it lasts a minute and almost 45 seconds. Almost two minutes. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of change in the arrangement around it. Mm -hmm. But the big thing is just when the vocals come in. Uh, He just knows that riff can carry the song. The second riff seamlessly grows out of it. It's almost just a variation on the first. Yeah, all the all the riffs in the first half of that song are growing out of the same root note. Everything yeah. just keeps returning to that. That that's what I mean about this is Satanic Warmaster's drone album. It's just <laughs> like he's not doing the low hitting the low string and then playing chords over it like Sanko, but he's everything there's a really intense root tonality on this. Um and uh, the, yeah, the second one just uh, the second one is so authoritative. He knows he doesn't need to do anything. He just goes dum 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 dum, right? Uh, and the vocal timing over that is is sick. He's 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 a master of jamming together cool sounding cryptic evil phrases. <laughs> he says something like he says something like the implicit. Coercion of Tiamat's toys. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, like, dude. Probably ex- he, he can't say implicit. That can't be right. The explicit <laughs> coercion. Uh, well, he has, he's also got an idea of... Uh, he really cares about vocals more on this record as far as like their rhythm and placement yeah, it's like yeah. i've always i've always enjoyed his like weird goblin vocals that he does like it's very charming and i like how on Corellian satanist madness it's just him kind of like screaming paragraphs of text you know <laughs> that's like one of the charms about that record like like try reading the lyrics to eaten by rats along with it it's like oh there's just He's just saying it as fast as possible. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> Look, there are a lot of rats. Yeah, yeah. There's there's wow, there's a word for every rat. Um, no, but uh, but here it's like, especially with those double tracks that he's using as you know punctuation points. There's a lot of care paid attention there. And also going back to the guitar work, what's really cool is all of these riffs are sped up, trimmed out riffs from Stormcrow Fleet. You see what I mean about Stormcrow Fleet being a black metal record? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 no, I, I've always understood what you meant in the atmosphere. But this is the first time it's like these could literally be off Stormcrow Fleet yeah. if you just sped it up. And, and I always said the Stormcrow Fleet 
riffs sound like uh, early Graveland, and this is, you know, you told me, oh, you like that chorus riff because it's early Graveland. Oh, yeah, yeah, it sounds yeah. very Graveland. I, I wouldn't even say early. I think that could be a modern Graveland thing if they just pared back the lead guitar a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, you didn't say early. That That is true. That could totally be a modern Graveland riff. And then three, right? So let's talk about the structure compared, the, I guess... There's a lot to talk about, but back to the side-by-side -side with A New Black Order. Basically, this is structured very similarly. Um, you get uh, just this um, just this, this vicious drone attack for the first part of the song. And in this case, it's two riffs. It's the quote-unquote verse and the chorus. Um, and then we got the big riff right with the keyboards right um and that has kind of the more uh somewhat more flashy guitar work although still really restrained um and you get the big riff and like with black order it's just not as important as the other riffs uh and it sets up the drop back into it but unlike that song right He's figured out a way to do that, but not just use it as a tension-building mechanism. Instead of being this kind of, like, thing that deliberately kind of strains and uh, stresses against itself to, to carry us back into the release, even this release, even that third riff is a massive banger. Yeah, he's, he's found ways to carry out a similar, con like, structural conceit, but give more inherent, val uh, like more inherent value and listenability to all the individual components of it. Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. There's This is a deliberately homogenous record. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, everything there is being voiced in the Satanic Warmaster chords. They're just being played in a really different way than from what people are going to expect. Um, yeah, this, this is definitely a reaching back to initial influences kind of record, I would say. Um with that being said, though, th there's still got to be the moments for the kids and like the simpletons <laughs> like me. Um, uh, I want to go to Berserk Death. I know that I put my notes in first, but you knew the part I was going to sample the moment you heard it, right? I knew I could leave this one to you, but it is, un <laughs> it is un undeniably like, I mean, I feel like every song on this record has a very distinct identity and is a highlight. Mm -hmm. And especially the middle four songs. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is definitely kind of a setup and denouement thing. But yeah, those middle four are kind of the big suite. Dude, um, yeah, Berserk Death is sick, man. <laughs> Berserk Death is the eaten by rats of this album. Yes. <laughs> uh, it is... Uh, it's one of those black metal songs that I describe as like hilariously awesome. Like you cackle yes, with glee yes. when you listen to it. it yes, it's like, absolutely. it's no, just absolutely so fucking fun. So we're just going to go to the middle of it because <laughs> in the middle of this sample is where the punk break happened. And I start, started, you know, fucking skanking and like punching my cats and stuff. It was, it was phenomenal. So let's, let's <laughs> listen to it. Let's listen to Berserk Death, and then I'll, I'll allow you to talk about, like, <laughs> smarter stuff than I can. <laughs>
So yeah, that is obviously it's the riff. It's it's my pick for riff of the album. It's my favorite part of the album is of course the probably the single most over the top satanic war master stereotype riff possible and it fucking kills and he plays it for like two minutes and it fucking rules <laughs> yeah that is what that is showing the kids how it's done right we were like that is what every modern usbm band wants to sound like and, oh yeah dude everyone everywhere else too right uh and like and, you know, we were just talking about how, like, well, you really can't play the big, long, melodic hook riff infinitely. Sometimes you can. <laughs> Sometimes you can. If it is, like, a secret power metal riff, like that one kind of is, you know? <laughs> he makes it, it's just perfectly written to turn around into itself, and it is not so, it's just spare, it's just spare enough, just economic enough, that it's not preposterous that it does that right? well yeah because then he the starts is like i mean he introduces it with like four repetitions and then he kicks the synths and the vocals over it he can juice it for like as long as he wants just by adding little textures um and it's a riff with such legs to it i mean the whole song is a setup to get to that riff and that's pretty much the rest of the song <laughs> you know it's well, well, well i like i really like the um I, I really I'm, I'm double checking the riff yeah I, I really like the main riff here too like oh no it's the, really the good part of the song yeah but it's like it's a setup riff you know it, mm -hmm. it's very good it's like like we said you know the conceit of like setup riffs and payoff riffs is still here yeah. it's just the setup riffs are way better than they used to yeah be. well here the yeah. setup riff is also super epic and it has a slightly different it's just like sort of more striving the setup riff is very uh um what is it uh wolves of blood and iron mm -hmm. um which is uh my favorite track off of strength and honor um, yeah uh and um uh but but yeah i i also forgot about the punk beat there and as soon as it hit i was just like oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah um, no it's it's, it's definitely like th th this is a very like this seems to be a very self-conscious song. It's like, okay, I'm doing a bunch of other stuff. Here's the one for you guys, though, yeah. who know exactly what you want out of me. This is this but, is. <laughs> but the other cool thing is that it is structured exactly like very a lot like. Well, you kind of already said this. It's structured a lot like Darkness Triumphator. It is mm -hmm. still very minimal and droning. The first part of the song has some. Uh, you know, sort of tension-building riffs thrown in to change it up, but it is primarily that sort of charging, ascending chord riff. Mm -hmm. uh, and the second part of the song is all one riff, right? So it is just, it's it's built around two big riffs that get repeated a really long time. It's still very disciplined songwriting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's th This is a, a really cool record for combining, like, the structural conceits of much more primitive black metal with the sort of riff technology of much more advanced stuff. That's a great way of putting it. Speaking of which, um, I'm sure you have something to say about this, but, like, you know, we both just, like, we both just, like, were so stoked when the the drop hits and he does the, um, that lead flourish at the end of the, at, at the end of the riff. Doo, yeah. Doo. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> it's, it's, like, there's always been, from, from Corellian onward, there's always been, like, you know, people think of this as kind of, like, raw, 
um, non-technical music, but there was there were fast riffs on that that were like speed metal riffs that nobody even tries to rip off. And on this record, like it just shows how much he's how far he's come as a musician, right? Yeah, and that that really makes me that makes me go back to stuff like Gorgoroth. You know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. early Gorgoroth records are littered with uh, crazy little lead flourishes. I mean, the most obvious one everyone knows is like the tapping riff on the self-titled song. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Infernus as a guitarist was a serious guitarist. He was playing a lot of the time more minimal riffs because that's what the song called for. But it's not that he wasn't capable of more. And, you know, Satanic Warmaster, it's the same principle at work. He can play guitar seriously. You can hear his appreciation of 80s heavy metal and hard rock and stuff in a lot of the stuff that he does. He just only breaks that out in certain moments where it makes sense. It's it's that combination of like ability and restraint that defines the best black metal. Yeah, I like that. The um, you know, uh, we we also should uh, briefly mention uh, the lyric at the beginning, which is "Enter the mega chasm of berserk death." <laughs> I, just so sick. I did look it up. Apparently, it is megacosm, but megacasm is cooler. Honestly, We're just a, roll with that. a big hole is cooler than space. <laughs> a big hole is space. It's just a more poetic way of putting it. <laughs> oh <It's>, fuck, man! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, but um, yeah, like there's just cool lyrical moments on all all these songs. Um. While we're talking about this one, we should briefly mention... We, we just can. It's, since it's so short, we can mention every song. So we briefly should mention the other one that's sort of for the hood is uh, Duke's Ride. Yeah, Duke's Ride, it's just... Um, that one's a little bit longer. That that has some more kind of like uh, complex uh, like middle bridge stuff going on. I thought about sampling that one, yeah. but then as soon as I heard Berserk Death, I was like, sorry, yeah. buddy, that's going to yeah, happen. Yeah. Agreed. And Berserk Death is more characteristic of the record. Uh, Duke's Ride has a bunch of fast stuff on it, and it has one of the only other sort of Corellian-type riffs on it, although kind of briefly, and then it fades into the background. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it delivers on these, like, uh, soaring hooks... But uh, it's structured in a more strange, adventurous, symphonic black metal type way. Uh, and feels, you know, you know, run su- surprisingly, right? Werewolf did an AMA on Reddit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he hangs out on Reddit uh, a lot, actually. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, um, so, so he did an AMA and... Uh, Someone asked him what his favorite French black metal record was, and he didn't say the ones that we always thought. He said Osculum Infam, hmm. um, which actually predates Seigneur Valand and at least at least anything coherent put out by Crystal Knocked. Mm, um, yeah. uh, it's so Osculum Infam was like that may be the actual origin of this entire courting style. Mm. Um, yeah, you've mentioned them on the show a few times. We've sampled them once or twice, um, and it, it's it's basically like more Norse second. It's it's both closer to Norse second wave and symphonic. It has keys, and it has this kind of more sort of uh, florid, vampiric comic book thing that I think a werewolf has been going for in a lot of his recent stuff. 
Mm-hmm. But it also has those sort of Franco-Finnish chords basically like fully evolved in 1990, I don't know, 98 or something, mm-hmm. 97. Um, but yeah, so you get some, I think like one source for, it may be that on this record he's, you know, really digging into the, obviously also like we don't have only one favorite record, right? And I feel like the way you prepare someone for the new record coming out is you mention the favorite record that's really relevant. Mm-hmm. And so like the, some of the more flamboyant stuff on this, like Duke's ride or whatever are very, uh, Osculum and Fom, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel that. Yeah. So, um, let's listen to the eye of Satan. Uh, this is a banger. patriotic chorus well yeah i like that it's timed out that is when he switches to uh singing and finish exactly yeah that's pretty neat 
Sounds hard as fuck in fish. And he's like right, right up against the the uh, he's he's right up against the mic, so you can hear all the weird trills and stuff yeah, they do. Yeah, no, like the, the the sort of the the fantasy goblin recedes, and it's just you know, uh, just an angry Finn. Um, someone got with someone got within ten feet of him at the bus stop, and it's not okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Real shit. Um, and uh, you know, yeah. So it, obviously, that's a you know, mood wise. It really sounds like Sealand Valholland. Like I almost Yeah, that does. Uh, yeah. Or you know, and mood it's it's more the lead is more elaborate than Goat Moon, but also kind of Goat Moony and it's it's sort of folk melody thing. Mm-hmm. Uh I almost wondered if there was a guest vocal on here, but I think it's him. Uh and um uh yeah, what sets this apart is um there is this real ear for folk melody that marks the Finnish versions of these riffs from the American imitations of them. Well, yeah, because um, like the the real folk stuff, it, it's one of those weird situations where the most authentic folk stuff actually sounds like more stereotypical than the imitative shit. You know what I mean? It, it's one of those things where it's like you're imagining like a lute melody Mm-hmm. And you're just planting that directly in the song, whereas people would try to make it like less idiosyncratic, you know, yeah, if just yeah, try it. to make it more heavy metal or whatever. It was right? sort of like um, that. It was like that one time you played that fucking uh, I think it was like a blood axis song or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and the chorus had this very goofy medieval melody on it. But it's like that's how you tell it's authentic because it's not cool to modern tastes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and people have taken that and tried to exaggerate it in various ways, right? Uh mm-hmm. it's um uh so yeah, basically those sort of like folk gestures get elaborated into hyper florid. People people basically hear the the way that a riff like that could sound kind of odd to someone. Oh, that's not a heavy metal riff or whatever. Mm-hmm. And exaggerate it into this kind of uh, well, the stuff you call friendly cat. Oh yeah, it's definitely (laughs) (laughs) friendly cat is descended in great part from Satanic War Master, just misunderstanding it completely. (laughs) Yes, yes. Here in this riff, that cat is not friendly. Um, No, he's he's an ornery one. That's that is a a very angry cat. Um, That's less apples and more Moira right there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, It's a. how, however, the other thing to talk about is how so like this song, although it is basically very focused on uh, demolishing everything, it is a lot happens in it. It's five minutes long. This is structured more like a conventional black metal song, but really skillfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we started out on this, you know, we started out on this storming power chord section. And it's a great example of how you can play melodies like that, how you can have parts like that that don't sound just like knockoff Norwegian sort of grinding chords stuff um, that really sound, that have the epic and noble atmosphere we associate with Finnish stuff and with a lot of the best modern black metal. Uh, and really, he was voicing those like Spite Extreme Wing. Um, mm-hmm. It's, uh, I don't know if that's, obviously nobody, like, you nobody know, listens to Spider Extreme. Nobody listens to Spider <laughs> But um, you know, whatever he was doing, kind of like inverted power, like chords with power, it sounded a lot like power chords, but with a lot more tension in them. Maybe they were like inverted or something. Um, 
and uh, the whole way of phrasing it, that's all Dorian melody. It's just very severe. Uh, you pointed out a cool AAB structure. Oh, yeah, the uh, the initial the riff that starts yeah. that sample has um, yeah. one of those odd configurations that's kind of like set up for a vocal idea. Yeah, yeah, so so that riff is fantastic, and that's why this track is one of my favorites. Um, it just does that so well, and it makes it... Um, it carries the same, yeah, it just, yeah, it's a really good uh, storming kind of power chordish riff that uh, remains epic. I just said that already. Um, <laughs> but um, it's, uh, and then eventually we get to the, you know, big atmospheric part. When you come back in from it, there's like this bridge section, and it's only then we get to the... Uh, you know, to, it's only then we get to the Finnish folk black song hidden at the end of the record, at the end of the song. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, a lot happens there. Uh, so, speaking of a lot happening, or more ambitious structures, at least, um, you've got your next sample. Uh, yeah, so my last one is uh, Barbas X Amon. Uh, that's the last track on the record. This is really interesting. This record is kind of like divided into two parts where the more, as I read a conventional Satanic War Master stuff is up front. And then the last couple tracks take a big turn for a much darker sort of sort of direction, uh, much more second wavy from riff to riff. And Barbas X Amon really strikes me pretty directly as a sort of tribute to Burzum, mm-hmm. which I assume has probably always been an understated influence in Satanic War Masters music. Um, just because it, different people of different ages listen to Burzum and take different things away from mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can interpret Burzum in so many different ways and get stuff that sounds nothing like each other. Um but here, this is... And back in back in the late 90s, it's not like... Now it's like, you know, a there is a tragic excess of one-man black metal projects, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day, it's not like that was particularly common. And who is your type? If, you're, if, you're, if you decide you're going to do something like that, you're thinking, I'm going to do something like Burzum, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the only model, really, at the mm-hmm. time. No. Um, so, and this is interesting because you can you can kind of draw the the thread between like Detsoman Gang Var and a lot of early Satanic Warmaster, but this is more specifically like sort of Satanic Warmaster's take on Dunkelheit in very direct ways. Um, so let's give this a listen, and this is pretty much a two riff song with key accompaniment. Uh, and I let's just listen to. I want to get your thoughts on is the second wave influence more pronounced on this record or am I just hearing a greater trend in Finnish black metal in general?
So yeah, obviously, um, the the construction of that first riff is a take on Dunkel Height. You just you can't. It might be unfair to be like, oh, Dunkel Height is the the blueprint for all of these sorts of uh, slow swaying arpeggiated riffs for Black Metal Forever, but it kind of is. You know? No, no, that is Dunkle Height. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Dunkle Height. I, I thought that too as soon as I heard it. Yeah, and also, you if the sample started a little bit earlier, you'd hear it more, but the key patch you can hear at the end, those very, like, rounded but still kind of twinkling deep tones on that, I think is, like, an attempt at replicating the key tone on Dunkle Height. So I think it's a specific mm. thing. But then it opens up into bigger territory that's a little bit more familiar to Satanic War Master, but it still strikes me, um, those those following couple riffs strike me as a lot more Gorgoroth than they do kind of the finish patterning. Um, and we've discussed the idea of Gorgoroth being an essential influence to the French style and the Finnish style, um, but I don't know if I have ever heard... I don't think I've ever heard Satanic Warmaster be as directly referential to Norwegian second wave stuff as he is on this record, but you're more tapped into the modern Finnish scene than I am, so that's my question is, is this something distinct to this record, or is this a broader trend uh, across the regional well, scene? Well, we talked about that at the beginning. I mean, I think it's a broader Finnish trend that Werewolf is uh, partially responsible for starting. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh that said, um, Burzum is certainly not something that comes up a lot in, in Finn Black, at least not in, not in any of the major lanes. Um, so I, I think that is very unusual. I was surprised to hear that. I mean, it makes sense because the dude loves black metal and so <laughs> probably likes Burzum. But like, um, I was surprised to hear that. Uh, so that is unusual. Things sounding more and more like Gorgoroth, not, not so much. I mean, like, White Death sounds a lot like Gorgoroth, too, and in similar mm, ways. Yeah. But you're right that it, although those are all satanic Warmaster chords, the slow processional vibe and the kind of darker way it turns around at the end, that is really Infernus. I hear exactly what you mean. <laughs>
And from the midst of an actual uh, storming blizzard, at least in, in my neck of the woods, we bring you Innermost by Hate Forest on Osmos. So, uh, two years, it's basically two years on the dot after Hour of the Centaur, uh, uh-huh. which was the big comeback record. Uh, that was also released by surprise, and I suspect these are just timed for the winter solstice. Um, and that was, and so that came out, this is clearly the sign, hey, Hate Forest is truly back, right? Sanko's going to keep writing songs for it. It's not stopping. Um, there's a, <coughs> sorry, which is cool to hear. Uh, there's going to be a, I think people, I haven't seen it in the YouTube comments so much, but I think there's going to be a tendency for people to hear this as his war record, right? Because Ukraine's been fighting for its existence or a large part of its territory for almost a year now. Uh, and this uh, but this was recorded in December 2021, which means it was written at least somewhat prior to that. Uh, although I could imagine him writing it very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, and the mood is way less martial than Hour of the Centaur. Uh, there's a spec. There's always one hate for a sound, but there's a spectrum of moods, uh, and this is a lot more distant. Uh, could you think about it as part of the build-up to war? Probably, right? I mean, those were there were long months of increasing tensions. Uh, I think the Ukrainians knew what was coming. I think, or a lot of them did. I think <laughs> Senko and the Kharkov crew have known what was coming seemingly their entire lives, right? We talked about that earlier mm-hmm. this year. It was just like, wow, looks like looks like these guys were validated. Um, uh, but, you know, so there was this long, tense buildup. Uh, and you could maybe see this as part of that context. Uh, because there is long, drawn-out tension uh, and diminishing hope as a mood on this record. Um, and it kind of pulls, mood-wise, it's kind of pulling in two different directions, both of which kind of make sense in the context of build up to war. Uh, on the one hand, this seems like it, it, it's a shift towards hate for it, where the last one was um, uh, just uh, very expressive and colorful, relatively speaking, for hate forest, uh, and very, you know, focused on history and war and whatnot. This is aiming to be the bleakest, most remote, inhuman hate forest record, or at least to harken back to things like purity. Uh, and the the cover suggests that it's maybe the most abstract cover we've ever had. I bet it looks like it's zoomed in on just the sky of a of a painting um, until it just becomes texture. Really cool. Uh, the song titles are almost entirely about vast, empty, silent spaces. Although they're often silent when they have and have like winds howling through them, uh, and the riffing is really the, like the Satanic Warmaster. The riffing is deliberately stripped back here in some ways. Uh, there are often uh, maybe not long but important melodies in Hate Forest songs. This is much more focused on basic phrases. The building blocks of building blocks, um, elemental just Senko motifs, and the production template is basically the opposite of Hour of the Centaur. 
right? That one was, uh, we can get into it, but this one is cold and austere. Uh, on the other hand, this has got to be the most, I feel like it has more sentimental romantic cording on it than any other Hate Forest record. And I think that's spilling over from Windswept and indirectly from Droog. Uh This is, although the, the production is just loud, cold, uh, hostile, and the songs are deliberately remote, there's a lot of motifs in this that have that kind of aching melancholy that makes it into a lot of that uh, Windswept and Droog stuff. Um, so it's it's sort of... Yeah, that, those are, that's the spectrum here. There's something interesting about this one, which is that the death metal guy who for years has, uh, you know, always said, I, you know, I just don't get Hate Forest, not my thing, you know, doesn't make sense to me, don't like it, but who did like the Precambrian EP. The death metal guy likes this? Well, 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 how the turns have tabled. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I really like this album. I uh, was very surprised. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, I'm going to listen to it, but I was like, okay, it's another Hate Forest record. This is going to be another thing that I appreciate from a distance, but absolutely does not work for me as a listener. And uh, this one actually really worked. Um, apart from the stuff that I've heard off of uh, the most ancient ones, this is probably my favorite hate forest material that I've heard. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was really trying to figure out why. And then kind of while you were doing the intro there, it occurred to me that <clears throat> for instance, uh, I like a couple Drudka albums really. Uh, I'd say probably like a third of the material. I like two thirds. I'm not really into never really liked hate forest up to this point. Um, but I really like Precambrian. And I really like um, little bits of the the little bits of windswept that I've heard. So mm -hmm. I'm thinking that I guess my thing is I, I like Sanko's style when it's um, when it's like diving into a real niche within this broader style that he has. Like Precambrian is a you know uh, the Precambrian record is a one trick pony in a good way. It's concentrated on this rigorous. Uh, conceit of form and it really works within those constraints uh, innermost is like you said very stripped down and very primordial but I think that by taking away some of those things that allowed me to appreciate what hate forest is really about um, and I like it when Sanko goes into this sort of primordial elemental mode uh, so Innermost really struck me uh, for a few reasons. One, uh, it just feels it feels to my ears and to the way I'm used to hearing it much more aggressive than most Hate Forest. And a lot of that has to do with this production that's like super in your face and just like loud and clattering in a really cool way. Um, I really love the vocal performance. The riffs are really cool, but as you said, they are elemental. They're like almost ghostly. This is not a riffs record by any means. Um, but really what this strikes me as comparable to is probably the absolute most aggressive moments of something like Branicald, which I'm really into. Um, obviously, yeah. Sanko is, you know, probably two degrees away from 
Blaze Birth Hall through some sort of connection, and it's obvious that he's always appreciated that music. Uh, this is the record that I've heard that sounds the most distinctly like Blaze Birth Hall, and especially like uh, early Branicald stuff before it got into sort of pure drone territory. Mm-hmm. So in general, yeah, I think this just seizes on the most identifiable parts of Hate Force for me strips it down and makes an album just about those things that I can't identify with. So it's sort of like shucked away the things that I don't really understand and just left me with this really hard carbon core of the the constituent elements that make this band sound and Roman Sanko's sound in certain regards. Um, I say all this, I really like this record. Uh, this makes me think of Hate Forest differently, which is why I knew that you wouldn't really be into it. <laughs> <laughs> because my, my guess was, okay, so I don't like other Hate Forest, but I really, really like this one. This is like a transformative thing for me experiencing this band. That means that the guy who really likes Hate Forest is probably not going to like this one. <laughs> well, so first of all, I'm glad you like it. Right. And the things you're you're latching on to here are real qualities of hate forest. Um, You know, like. Yeah. So the production here is going to appeal more to your death metal ear. Right. This is the most more most forward and loud production he's had. Uh Although in many ways it's also more conventionally black metal because it's highly distorted, mm-hmm. uh, harsh and buzzing. It's almost more like a Marduk tone, um, but it has more. It's more MIDI than you know the really really raw trebly stuff. Um, uh, the 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 it also the very forward hour of the centaur honestly had basically an equally loud production, but there was more breadth in it. Because yeah, the Hour of the Centaur sounded like it had a like it had a lot of headroom. Like it was um a record that was recorded a little bit quieter and then went through the mastering process. This one sounds like it was recorded really loud. Yeah, Hour of the Centaur the production gives room for the broad jangling folk chording that he's really focused on there. And for you know that record was really focused on bringing out the acoustic qualities of his playing and the power of the picking and stuff. This is still going to give you a good idea of the instrumental performance, right? But it is um it is it's like uh yeah, very narrow much would you say much narrower sonic bandwidth? Uh, it's just, it's very saturated. Um, yeah, there's, it seems like there's a lot more compression on stuff. The other hate force tends to have kind of a cool mix. There's a lot of space in it here. All that space is filled. Yeah. And it is, um, the general loudness that, that tendency that is sort of in both these, both the latest records comes from the windswept and precambrian records where he's going playing with a live band, unlike here where he's with a drum machine and where he's going for this very in-your-face kind of jam room sound. And so that's carried over to this. Uh, and, um, you know, so that, you know, that makes sense as a thing you could do in the possibility space of Hate Forest, right? <laughs> just do one that's really, do one that's just really kind of down the line and pummeling. Um, I think, though, like, the thing for me is that 
these are the, you know the first track is awesome i think there's strong stuff on the whole on the first three of them uh and some other cool moments in the later tracks but on average these are like hands down the worst riffs than any hate <laughs> i was i was listening to you just like agonize your way to it <laughs> I was, you know... It, a it man trapped in a desert crawling towards the oasis. <laughs> well, we had to talk about the production. But yeah, it also had to be said, you know. Um, and so that's not because they're short and paired back. His other records are full of extremely minimal riffs uh, that, um, that are just a lot better. Um, there are, of course, plenty of just basic architectural riffs on this that are fine, right? And there are some big riffs that are great. Um, but these are... At this point, if you've listened to Hate Forest, and especially if you've listened to Windswept and Precambrian, these are sort of... Uh, these really seem like echoes of echoes of riffs. Uh or fragments mm. of riffs, but not in the like cool reductive way, just fragments of better riffs. Um, and like part of the reason this band has always been great is that although it is extraordinarily minimalist music and always has been, even the two note, sometimes the two note riff is the big riff, right? Uh -huh. There's always been an extreme distinctness to the riff has been craft in them and even though they are really riffs and not melodies they have a real sort of melodic ear to them uh the melodic ear for hate for like as hour of the centaur revealed core to hate forest is that ear for folk melody uh that's been really pared back here which is maybe one reason it's more to your taste uh that's not necessarily a problem uh sorrows is more like that too a little less folky you could say that about purity, maybe, but not. I think not so much. Um, uh -huh. I think Sorrows is kind of analogous to this, but this is way more in your face than Sorrows. Uh, and so, uh, and I almost wonder if downplaying the folkiness has just uh, removed, he's just deliberately removed something that was fundamental to his technique, and it's not, like, working. Uh. Uh, but... You know, he can write good death metal riffs, right? Precambrian has a lot of Jacenko riffs, but it has death metal riffs. Uh, Rottenfanger has some good death metal riffs. Um, and yeah, and I, would, really would, I, I feel like the death metal comes out a lot on this record in particular. Like, I hear it more distinctly. Like, I can hear it when you point it out on, like, the Scythia demo, but here it, it seems very immediate that a lot yeah, of these well, are death metal riffs. Yeah, well, the other thing... Um, you know, weirdly, the most death metal stuff is actually the classic Hate Forest records. Like, when you, when you said, like, you didn't really like it except for, like, the most ancient ones, that that and Purity are, like, the canonical records. And I, I've gone back and forth, but I think I like the most ancient ones better. Yeah, I, I've always known Purity as, like, the essential record. People, people tout that one because it's extremely minimalist, and I think basically just because it has a couple, one or two bangers on it that appeal to modern sensibilities. Mm. So the gates, although it's really sparse and slow, it just has this, um, it has this epic Dorian moment in it that is built to like a chorus, and that I think just a lot of people are just like, yes, this is it. This is the most awesome thing. Mm -hmm. Um. 
the most ancient ones is equally epic, just uh, but like riffier, more bolt throwery, more severe, and very folk drony. Um, and you know, I think the records have always been loud, but they've been mixed to turn up. Mm-hmm. Um, the most ancient ones, like you know, like how early Emperor right is mixed quiet, but you turn it up, and then it's like really loud and bludgeoning. Yeah. I think that's kind of the idea. It's a way, it's a lo-fi way of creating sonic space. And so that's how those old records work. But like, this one, I mean, I guess in some sense this isn't, this might be one of like my least interesting takes this year in that I'm going to say something that record critics often say. Which is like, it just sounds like these are culled from the cutting room floor of other projects, namely Windswept and Precambrian. Mm. Um yeah, I mean, yeah. I can, I, I get where you're coming from. I think there's, I think there's something about the sort of, um, we, we've talked about this. I have more time uh, for these sort of like hyper simplified gestural riffs than you do. Bad like riffs. I, yeah, bad riffs. I like bad riffs. <laughs> um, no, it's like I, I like the the sort of like so pared down. They're almost abstract figures yeah, that you'll but, get yeah. but but i like those too i just think these aren't good um well yeah. let's listen to some good ones from this album then. Yeah, all right. <laughs> we'll you just know, um all right so yeah let's let's get into your sample the first song is awesome yeah right. this and this is just the opening of the record it's those who howl inside the snowstorm um I think these are really good riffs. Uh, one thing I want to point out is so a lot of hate for stuff treads around this sort of um, these sort of steps folk melodies that reach into territory that sounds almost like East Asian sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, here, that sensibility is really front and center on the record, which gives it almost like a Phrygian thrash thing. But it also makes it kind of like a bolt thrower thing, which, well, yeah. as we know, is like central to hate forest. Uh, and I think that's where some of the death metal is coming out more distinctly for me. But yeah, as soon as this one fired up, I was like, oh, this is going to be very different from what I'm used to with these guys.
All right, so that's uh, that's just four riffs laid end to end, and I think all of them are really cool. Um, I hate forest has always been constructed in this deliberately simplified sort of blocky manner. Um, but I think especially, I, I think in general, but especially on this record, Sanko's got a real ear just for riff pacing and like developing mood in the intersection between riffs, you know, that that's a sequence that takes you on a really cool narrative journey. And I like the restraint of not throwing vocals over any of those, all of which would have worked to have vocals, but he gives it time. He gives it a couple minutes to breathe before everything really gets started. Um, so it, like right up front, you've got one of those Phrygian kind of riffs that I was talking about very distinctly. Then sort of a, a, a more relaxed uh, blaze birthy riff. Uh, then we get into, you were saying it was uh, the melodic catchy one that you said that was a take on like a previous song. Uh, yeah, so I can do that for a bit. The song starts off with that sort of Phrygian thrash thing you're thinking. Um, yeah. That's like a sort of... Uh, paired back more death or old school black metal ever it's a more power chordy version of uh pretty sure that's like the storm of scythian arrows riff mm -hmm. so it's like it's reprising a rhythmic that sort of jangling jangling horseman rhythmic figure that was at the end of uh hour of the centaur mm -hmm. um uh and but here in a much more yeah death metal voicing uh more thrashy and um, then, yeah, the big catchy hook is kind of like, it, I think it's basically a reprise of the riff to the gates. It does the same thing, as in it's a monolithic two-chord sequence that depends on a change in the bass note to make it really epic. Mm -hmm. um, and over that, you have, but the thing he's changed is that now he has this, he's also playing this second stratum over it. He's playing this sort of, lyrical yearning a trill riff that's a lot like a windswept riff yeah um i like uh i like the the like intense contrast between these ideas but they all you know they they play the part of like individual scenes in, in you know the narrative of the song um and i really like um just hearing those sort of like Sanko chord shapes and motifs presented in this like way more upfront, way more in your face manner. I mean, we could, we could debate all day over, you know, what is how we hear aggression or something, but this strikes me as like aggressive in more or a different way from other hate forest stuff. And one that just clicks with me more immediately. Yeah. Well, you know, it's really loud. And if there's an, and that, that definitely, <laughs> I mean, I can see why the loudness increases the the sense of aggression. Uh, <laughs> you know, and the harsh and, vocals and their atmosphere of yes, hate and um, anguish. Also, if there's anything else that's different about it, I wonder, now that I'm listening to how you describe it, I wonder if it's not that there's more rapid movement between the riffs or more rapid movement between dramatically contrasting riffs. I mean, I think that's part of it. I, I think mm -hmm. that this is this is a record in general. Hate Forest records don't tend to be very long, but there's something about the pacing of this record that is more immediate. There, There's much fewer parts where they're just kind of hanging on to a single melodic figure for like a really extended period. I think that's fair. Yeah, this is totally, this is totally an attempt to write the sort of like the punchy kind of, well, on the, I feel like it's just, you know, 
I feel like there's a record to be made that is just really punchy, direct, succinct, uh, kind of hooky hate forest, and this song would be a template for it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it sounds this song also sounds like it could have been on Hour of the Centaur. Um, it, it like if you and it's like I would say basically if you like this song, you like hate forest. Like this is the, <laughs> this is the most folky song on the record. It's the only one that has the sort of folk tri- the the sort of folk drone on it. Mm. In that second riff you described as more Branicaldi. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think yeah. I think that might be a thing. It's like I think I might just like the folk drone used as more of a sparing technique rather than as like a dominant feature across a record. Yeah, and so that's a meaningful taste difference. I get that. And so yeah, yeah that's an important thing to yeah, say. And, and just to clarify, I think it's a cool technique, but I think my issue is the folk drone kind of like it's like a gravity well. You, you know, it kind of like when you have the folk drone there, it kind of sucks all the other ideas into it, which is the point. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it, it does make things much less distinct when they're all bound together by that feature, if that makes yeah, sense. That totally makes sense. And that's a black metal, death metal taste difference. Thing. Yeah. So yeah. I get that. So for new listeners, because maybe we'll get some new listeners, um, <laughs> the uh, when we talk about the folk drone, right, we by drone. Well, we can talk about that in a lot of different ways, arguably bolt thrower drones, mm-hmm. but like hate forest. uh in, on the classic records, and also on, um, also at least to a, to a great extent on the last one, Hour of the Centaur, uh, almost always has the the lowest string on the guitar going under every other chord, and even if he doesn't do that, he's um, he's still writing these riffs that are highly rooted in oscillation of chords or melodic figures over a strong trimmed root note. Uh, rather than just, like, a single chord or a single melodic phrase. Um, so they're, 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 every, every riff you hear is moving over this single, continuous droning note. And so here, he does that technique as a one-off, right? It's not running throughout the whole song, but he, you can hear him lock into that root tonality and then flare these chords out over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and, uh, so yeah, I, that makes sense to me. Yes, you would, yeah, I, I get that. And that's also one way it's like Precambrian. Um, uh, but yeah, the basic sequence of riffs, these are all classic but really, really good Hate Forest riffs. Um, and I like the drama and the pacing here. Uh, you know, and yeah, I get why it would not be your preference. Like, why I, I, yeah, I love the feeling of just infinite, infinite riff and everything being pulled into that gravity well. Mm-hmm. And I totally get why you want more high contrast parts. You like Morbid Angel. <laughs> you like Morbid Angel too. <laughs> I like Morbid Angel too, but I mean that that's a hallmark for your taste. That's a great example of a band that has very clearly demarcated. No, I, I get parts. exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, like like that is archit- Morbid Angel is architectural music, and Hate Forest is much more like, uh, well, sawing step fiddle music. Yeah, I feel much that. more. It's more the Hate Forest like Morbid Angel's like architecture. Hate Forest is like wind. Um, yeah, it's a, a, a sprawling you know, so landscape. It, it make, yeah, 
Exactly. So, um, I don't know. So what I figured for the sampling, so I, I guess I just feel like that song is by far the best on the record. Um, and, uh, I would love to hear a whole record that sounded like that. Um, we, it sort of is like that for the first three tracks, but the, I think the majority of the record's length is actually the last three. Um, so I'm going to follow up each of the death metal guy samples with a sample. That's the bad version of the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, no, no, it's not to prove you. It's not to prove you. No, wrong. no. I just think it's, it's hilarious to think that this is the situation we're in on a hate forest review. <laughs> yeah. I think if anything, I'm probably being harsher because it's one of my favorite bands. You know what I mean? No, like, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. I know the meme is that I'm a Senko simp and, but you know, you gotta, you gotta, stop simping somewhere um, <laughs> and and the point is right like i've i'm a comp these riffs strike me as a big part of why they don't have the same power for me is they're not as original and distinct and part of that is the problem is that i'm a completist so most people who have this record probably haven't listened to multiple albums by windswept or precambrian but i have i know where these are coming from uh <laughs> And, you know, we've said, bef I've said this before on the show, like, Senko's, like, baseline material is, like, still, in many ways, just better than almost everyone else's. Like, he, he just has these really cool, dense, textured ways of harmonizing things. He has a sophisticated ear, real cool play of melody and dissonance. All of those basic characteristics are present on this album, and if you want an introduction to Hate Forest, like if this is your first Hate Forest record and you like it, great, then you'll really like the other stuff. Um, unless you're looking for that more death metal -y feeling, in which case, maybe Precambrian. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I have to, I, I want to, so like, these aren't necessarily bad riffs, but they're bad by his standards. Um, and so we're gonna go to Temple of the Great Eternal Night. Now that title promises a lot, and the song is eight minutes. It's the longest on the record, uh, right after the middle break of the album. Uh, starts off with a pretty cool AAB hybrid. It's very vicious, very attacking. Um, the first phrase is a stock sort of hate forest grinding chords. Uh, the second is this simple but really powerful epic turnaround. Also kind of like stuff in the gates. Um, and this is one of the only other moments on the record that sounds folky. But then...
So just to be clear about the terms established here, the intent is that I, I'm not supposed to like the do-do-do-do-do riff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, but I do like it. That's the problem. <laughs> no, no, see, that's it's not bad as it is. It's one of your first times really paying attention to a hate forest riff like that, and so you're going to like it. It's inherently awesome. It's... However, that's a stock moment in Hate Forest songs where you it's a classic thing. The blasting drops off and you roll into this epic bolt thrower triplet and you do this drone string, snaky, sinuous melody that sounds more, maybe more majestic than some of the more pummeling stuff around it. Um, it's a hallmark kind of moment. It makes sense that you like it, but like... As far as his versions of this riffs, this one is like procedurally generated. You can hear it. It's a great example of a grid-written riff. It is just moving on even quarter notes and half notes, just crawling up the scale. And he's written fantastic riffs that are basically just scales. The best guitarists can get away with that. Like the last track on the Windswept album, basically as a scale it, it like it sounds like hate forest and it has like it's a scale riff and it's awesome but in this case it just seems like i mean there is none of the inflection it has more notes in it than a lot of his riffs like this and none of the inflection and it's you know i i mean the only thing that distinguishes it at all is the turnaround, which is just that two downwardly slashing chords. But once you've heard his stuff, it's just like, yeah, of course, he's going to introduce more dissonance there. Okay, that's it. I mean, what do you like about it? <laughs> well, I don't even want to talk now. My feelings are hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like, there's, okay, there are cases where I don't think I fundamentally disagree with you that a lot of this record does come off as like generic, but mm. I think it reaches a sort of like superposition of being generic that that becomes its own sort of austere character. The fact that all of these riffs are sort of, sort of so fundamental and granular, the the like the nondescript grayness of this record when combined with the really intense overheated aggression, I find really interesting. There's, um, there's a real atmosphere to this album that's caused by the juxtaposition of almost the flatness of the melodic content with the like intense heat behind the drum and drums and the vocals. Um, it's like it's it's battering chaos and like intensity and focus but it's like a, it's like remembering a dream or something you know there's it's it's incre it's brutal but it's ephemeral at the same time and i i can see how that could be a problem but i think that's cool so that's a good case for it, right? And, I mean, I didn't say it up front, but I, like, you know, given that, you know, I have just the utmost respect for this guy's work, people who people like this do things very deliberately. It's possible in six months I'll be like, you know what, Death Metal Guy, that's a great record. And if that happens, I'll say it on the show, right? I will I will publicly uh, eat, my, eat my hat. <laughs> um, but the... Um, I think that's what it's going for. I just think you could do that 
and make he could write a geometric riff like that that I think is just more cool or engaging. And I get that at that point we're just sort of arguing. It becomes micro argumentation, right? Uh, yeah, it just becomes arguments over what riff is cooler. Basically. And I know I'm never going to be able to explain like why one two or I could, but we won't put them through it. Why one chord <laughs> riff is better than another, and a lot of it has to do with just the fact that once you become acquainted with this guy's stock of gestures, you're just like, well, okay, I've heard sixteen better versions of that, or mm-hmm. sixteen versions of it that are more or less equivalent, etc. But so what, so two more, I want to do a side-by-side comparison with a similar moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so maybe this will give some comparative reference points. So that's a big riff. The song foregrounds it. It's the center of the song. It, it's given a lot of significance. It has more notes than most of these. Let's compare it with another flagged big riff from the most ancient ones. Uh, this is off of the title track. <laughs> in some way is simpler than the riff from uh, Innermost, but it is um, that is an extremely distinctive and authoritative riff that has this inflection and timing in it that just comes across to me as way stronger. Yeah, that's that's interesting because they scan is like, yes, obviously it's the same basic figure. Mm-hmm. Um, like basic rhythmic figure and sort of like melodic gesture, but they come off completely differently to me. Like in terms of mood and like what's being expressed, like like technically, yeah, I mean that's unmistakable. Basically, the same thing is happening, but I feel like the the aggregate effect of it is like radically different. Well, I get that you know I get that like this one is a lot more sort of uh, violent. And yeah, it's a lot more stern. In the middle of it's 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 more stern. The one in the middle of uh, in in the middle of Temple of the Great Eternal Night is sort of more more sprawling and majestic and is also uh um you know that's what it's going for and it's also supposed to be more stable and orderly but like uh i think i you know honestly dude i sampled that one because uh i've already sampled in most winter on the show (laughs) in most most winter is the one in most winter has a drop has a moment like that too, and the riff is like one of the classic epic hate forest riffs. Um, and you always say you you've said you like that one. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a classic. Uh, you know, you can see maybe he's trying to tie this whole album to the track in most winter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so obviously, listeners, I'd recommend checking it out. But um, it 
there there's a similar thing it's just the riff is more bespoke and unique part of that has to do with the folkiness of it in in most winter as well as the most ancient ones but it also just has to do with the fact that they're bespoke you know especially in the one i just played like that is also kind of a bolt thrower riff Mm -hmm. oh yeah no it's well and then you get that huge grinding death metal riff after the big one exactly so it's been it's been crafted to be it's very close to a bajillion other riffs, but it's been, and it has like four notes, but it's been crafted to be exactly that. And another thing I like there, other than you can hear the undertone of drone, but there's also something I didn't even notice till yes, yesterday, maybe for, from the headphones. There's always this nebulous billowing noise in the background of the old Hate Forest records. Mm-hmm. And some of it's just guitar noise and drum clatter. Um, but... There's actually a synth tone there that moves up. Dum, 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 behind it, and it just sort of like booms and billows out and recedes. And and I get that that's a kind of textural density that is not what this record is going for, but I wanted to point out that's really cool. Yeah, no, I get you. Uh, I, I think that really what this is coming down to is like, these are like micro differences in taste, like adding up to macro differences of opinion. Um, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So let me get to another one that I like, which is off a uh, ice cold bloodless veins. Um, and I want to go back to that thing that I said about um, blaze birth hall. Uh, so I think that that's like really prominently featured on this record. Um, like I said, the most aggressive moments of Branicald or on this track in particular, um, Nitberg, which you know better than me, so I'm wondering if it's a pretty apt comparison. Um, so this is just a really good example of really interesting use of like super high contrast melodic ideas and like some really sawing dissonant stuff up front. Just really gives that feeling of you know Branicald, where it just feels like sheets of ice kind of crashing down vertically. Um, mm-hmm. I just. I think this is just an awesome way to open this track.
I just really like all those riffs. Um, and I, I like the austere, blocky quality of them just being, you know, dropped next to each other. But there are intricacies in there. That opening riff, um, you know, that dun 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 figure actually goes through a ton of micro variations because that's that's kept going for like a, probably a minute 20 there. Um, but he keeps adding in these little variations, uh, but the variations are coming like inside the riff he's adding passing tones that he skips over in earlier iterations on mm -hmm. it so there's this kind of like there's something very granular about the way that it develops it's like it's it's starting as the most elemental building blocks and then it becomes something more full like the the fully developed version of the riff but it's still not a it's a riff that's sort of like deliberately absent of meaning it's like weird furtive minor key tones in the middle and then it just sort of balloons out into this uh, expansive kind of dissonant chord at the end. There's no resolution. There's no sort of internal logic to it, but it's just very cool. And then it breaks into a sequence of riffs that, again, slowly sort of acclimatize the listener and add more conventional melodic ideas. But those are still sort of discarded by big sheets of sawing dissonance at the end. I think it's a really cool conceit for riff craft, and I like the way the song develops, you know, adding more of these sort of approachable sort of emotive elements, but wiping the slate clean at the end of every cycle with that dissonance. It's, it's neat. I don't necessarily hear all those turnarounds as, as dissonant as you do. Uh, I feel like the roots often follow places that make sense melodically, but I hear what you mean generally, and I think that's a really good place, a way of putting it. Yeah, maybe not dissonant. Strictly dissonant isn't the right word. He's he's throwing no, in very unusual augments on higher it's, strings. It's strained and deliberately harsh versions of these kind of uh, lush chords. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's totally fair. Um, yeah, this is a cool song. Um, I would sort of pair it with uh, Whiteout Silence from mm -hmm. the back half of the record. I think there's almost an entire record in these two songs if he wants to do it. Or these two songs, thing, more things like these combined with more things like the heaviest parts of the record, like those who howl. Um, yeah, this is very cool. As far as the Blazebirth Hall, I definitely hear that. That occurred to me at some other point listening to the record, and I can't remember when. Um, however, uh, it, I, not so much Nitberg. Uh, Nitberg was a late, much... The album we're talking about, Nagala Raid, was much later. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it was... Um, it's actually probably influenced by Hate Forest. Mm, okay. Yeah. it's um, It doesn't really sound directly like it at all, but you can... It, you, there's a sort of parallel language. Yeah, Nagala Raid is 2010. There's so Oh, yeah. There's definitely a parallel language between... Mm -hmm. Like yeah. Nitberg and Hayford. I, 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 yeah, I think the um, the the BBH stuff may have been very inf may have been influential early in the Ukrainian stuff, uh, but and it's sort of always there. But and I think you're right that here where it gets the most sort of you know it's really abstract and uh, severe, but at the same time has these weirdly emotive, expressive melodies and chords. That is very Blazebirth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess that's the thing. It's like, this is a Hate Forest record that hits my, like, my priors. 
mm-hmm. you know, this is the one that hits the shit that I already like generally like about extreme metal, like more directly. Well, I think you would really like, I mean, the windswept records. Uh, some of them are, they're not as sparse as these, but they're still relatively sparse and they have just some massive versions of those kinds of riffs. Okay. Uh, um, but in some sense, what he's doing, I agree that there's a deliberate reduction approach here. Like he's taking, you know, there might be a full eight chord phrase that has this yearning romanticism to it. And here he's deliberately sort of truncating it and sort of smearing stranger chords across it and stuff. There's nothing technically in, even in a song like this, there's nothing really that you wouldn't hear on a windswept record, but he's focusing on a specific method. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, so the thing is, um, you know, I guess on the one, right, he's trying to make a really aggressive hate forest record, but also a really atmospheric one, right? Is I think the idea mm-hmm. like what is hate forest? Well, it's aggressive and atmospheric. Okay, I'm going to make one that is super pummeling and in your face, but also because of the, uh, you know, the minimalism is going to be, you're going to have to listen to it as atmospheric music. Um, And uh, the thing is, like, yeah, so those, that was a good version of those ideas. And then there are bad versions of those ideas, like Solitude and Starry December, the finale. And again, part of what makes these ideas not so good is that they're just sort of worn out. Um, If you've heard Windswept, uh, if you've heard the more lush parts of Hour of the Centaur, the more sort of uh, sorrowful parts of it, or if you've heard Sorrows, uh, you know, that sort of last old Hate Forest album, um, you've heard like a a ton of riffs that are phrased like... like that's sort of a classic phrase it's it's good in context in that song but it's one of this language of there's a language a language he's drawing on here from windswept that uh is is pretty familiar and in solitude and starry december by the time you get you get here you've heard like two dozen better versions of this specific riff in solitude and starry december um and he's like drawing on this phrase again and again throughout the record. And it's when it's in Windswept, it's part of these big expressive melodies. Uh, but here it becomes like this sort of just an emotional cue, like a trope. Right? That's like a pretty melodic phrase. But 
isolated like this, it's just this kind of sad little ditty that uh, <laughs> it, it conveys a kind of, um, it's like new druk melancholy, which just, I mean, is just not an emotion that belongs on a Hate Forest record. Uh, I understand adding more sorrow, grief to a Hate Forest record, but like primary emotion, but this sort of like subtle shading and the sort of in sentimentality, I think does not, it just doesn't fit with the character of the band. Um, and, uh, and it's also, like, yeah, like Hate Forest should deal in like uncompromising emotions. <laughs> Right, just primary, like, uh, you know, this is um, sorrow, right? You know what you've lost, and you're in terrible pain over it. Uh, melancholy, you aren't sure what you lost, but you feel it's back there or out there somewhere, stretching <laughs> and yearning. And, you know, there's a place for that kind of emotion, and uh, he, he does it, you know, he does it well in other places, but here it comes across as just uh, out of place and also just kind of, like, ineffective. Um, uh, you know, and again, if you've heard it once, you've heard it before. Uh, and so I tried to find what the stem is for this, um, and I think it is, there may be a closer match somewhere, but I'm pretty sure the stem phrase for this is in, uh, the first track, Black Horizon is the Gates of a Blizzard from The Great Cold Step by Windswept. So, very quick sample, I'm gonna prove it. So windswept is the nice one. Yeah, but it's like the lush. But that's the funny thing, right? The nice version shouldn't sound more powerful than the not nice one. Mm, I get you. You know, it's like isolated on its own. A phrase like that is kind of, you know, it's kind of just impotent. And here at the beginning of the windswept record, sure, it's got this lush production. It's more like... It's a more pleasant emotion. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, um, it's it has the you know the big broad chords. Um, it sounds way more drudgy, but like I feel like that riff just is um, a lot as a melodic phrase. It just is a lot stronger than the other one, um, in part because it's allowed to develop. Um, uh, you know, yeah, so that's my, really my criticism of the riff. I I don't know if you've got anything on that. I've got one other thing I want to mention. Uh, the uh, the windswept riff or the, uh, the hate well, forest Well, I'm saying the windswept is, 
the, the funny thing to me is that the windswept riff sounds heavier than the hate forest riff. Um, I, I guess it's like, I mean, I like both of them. I, I like the, the windswept riff because it's this kind of elaborate melodic figure, but I, I think I straight up just enjoy the things you don't like about this album. Because for me, when I hear the hate forest version, it's like, I like the fragmentary, isolated, unresolved nature of it. I, I, I like the fact that it doesn't develop into anything more. You know, I like the I like how much of this record is um bare sketches of a feeling or an idea. It's just these very abstract contours of it. Um I I think maybe it's just because most of the music I listen to is like the opposite of that. It's like obsessively detailed and very emotive. Um, and I think that it's just, maybe this is just hitting the contrast button just right for me. Yeah, I, I could, I could hear that. I mean, I think it, in addition to triggering your death metal vibes, it triggers your, your DSBM. Taste. Oh, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, like there are things in this that like, I wouldn't be against, yeah, like the touches of more expression in Hate Forest are cool. Hour of the Centaur was way more expressive than previous ones. But um yeah, the 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 melancholy to me seems like depressive Druk. Mm-hmm. Um and uh so the other thing would just be like I get that in concept the album you're describing sounds good to me too. Uh like this just like stark um broken off kind of um uh you know like i i get the feeling you're describing and as you describe it it sounds cool but i think a big part of this is just like how much of this is uh maybe it doesn't make a difference for you honestly but how much of it is how much of it is he in control of and how much is of it is a side effect of haste and the thing that I think, like, I, I get the sense maybe he was rushing to just put out another one, uh, but, like, there's stuff about this record structurally that, okay, you're going to describe it as, like, things just break off for no reason, they connect, they, they you know, they, they're thrown in these sort of blocky assemblies. Okay, I get that, but, like, at certain, this song, where that riff stops, you could hear those clanging chords come in, those clanging chords go for 45 seconds and manage to suture together the first riff to a kind of standard storming part. Like, and the song just alternates between these two trope riffs. Um, and there's a similar kind of structural, just questionable structure on track four, on the Temple of the Great Eternal Night, which I wanted to talk about. It fades out on acoustic, and he does a minute and like 45, really long acoustic section, like okay. a minute and a half at least. To be fair, the acoustic section is without question the worst part of the album. Yeah, and it's a big part of the album and there's no reason for it to be there. Uh, it transitions into another kind of cool, aggressive, storming riff. But even then, it's an abrupt transition, so there's no reason he couldn't have just put it a minute and a half earlier. Um, yeah. The acoustic stuff is straight. Like, this guy's a great guitarist, but the acoustic stuff is just... It's just un- unnecessary. Uh, and that signals to me a kind of um, slipshod structuring here that scans as, like, less... 
architectural and more kind of, uh, you know, arbitrary.